Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue through the teaching of the Bible. And tonight's lesson is on the book of Luke. Luke is believed to be one of the earliest writings. However, it's also believed that Mark, the Gospel of Mark, already existed. You know, Luke was a doctor, and he was investigating the eyewitness testimonies of people that were still alive that had witnessed Jesus in his ministry and witnessed the miracles and, and saw him, you know, as he lived here on earth. Luke wanted the most accurate portrayal possible. You know, and he went to all these different people to try to, to get their stories firsthand so that he could write this, you know, gospel this account of the life of Jesus to the accuracy to the highest standard. You know, Luke begins with this parallel with John the Baptist and Jesus' birth. You know, and he's telling these stories as Zechariah and Elizabeth are older in age. You know, he'd served the temple his entire life. He's probably in his 60s. They didn't have any children. You know, and uh, they cast lots to see who was going to go into the temple. And uh, it just happened to fall on him and his tribe. And the likelihood of this is very, it's like, you know, a million to one. You know, if you research the probability of him and his village and his tribe, and you know, that he gets the opportunity to go in this time. Well, he went into the Holies of Holies and he had a visitation and, and, you know, God spoke to him, possibly through an angel, and told him that he was going to have a son. And he argued with the voice, and the voice told him that he wouldn't speak again until his son was born, and that he was to name him John. And uh, he came out of there a little shook. Also, Mary had a visitation with an angel, and she was told that she was going to conceive, and she also argued you know, with the voice. However, you know, she submitted a little bit quicker and she didn't lose her voice. You know, and these stories are these supernatural births. You know, most likely, you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth are older in age. They're not really in the, the younger years of their life and the ability to conceive a child. Mary is probably in a teenage years. She's never been with a man. She's a virgin in that, you know, ends up being given the Messiah in her belly. You know, and these stories parallel, you know, because their lives intertwine. You know, that the, the, the divine promises that are on each one of these children, that John would be this prophetic messenger who is going to prepare Israel to meet God. Jesus is the Messiah, the Messianic King, who would bring God's reign and blessing to the nations. As Mary and Joseph bring Jesus as a baby into the temple, that there's two elderly people that instantly recognize who he is, that they knew that he was the Messiah, that they'd been praying and praying and praying, and, and as you know, Joseph and Mary bring Jesus into the temple to be blessed, Anna and Simon both prophesy over him, but Simon begins to sing a hymn, you know, and he's inspired out of the book of Isaiah, and he declares that my eyes have finally seen salvation, and he will be the light to all the nations. You know, 
So, you know, instantly, right as these babies are introduced, you know, they're, you know, stirring some things up. You know, Luke then goes into the genealogies, very similar to Matthew, because Luke wanted to to show how all the prophecies in the Old Testament of where the Messiah would come from match who Jesus is. So he goes through the, the genealogies and he sees how it goes back to David. That, the, you know, there was prophecies that the Messiah was going to be come out of David's lineage. He would be a son of David. Then it goes back to Abraham, that all the nations would be blessed through Abraham. He takes it even as all, all the way back to Adam, that all of humanity, because Adam means human or man, you know, that all of humanity would be touched and blessed by Jesus. You know, he would be the king of Israel who brings God's blessing, not just to Israel, but to everyone. You know, Jesus goes back to Nazareth as he launches his ministry. You know, so we jump into Jesus in his adult years. You know, and one of the first things he does, he goes to the synagogue and they're having a gathering. And he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. You know, scrolls are a little bit different than our books today. That they would have the entire book of Isaiah rolled out, you know, and they would roll it open, they would read a passage, and then roll it shut. And then they would roll it open, read a passage, and roll it shut. And it just happens as they pass it to Jesus, as it gets rolled open, it's on the passage of Isaiah 61. <clears throat> it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor, and freedom to the prisoners, new sight to the blind, and freedom to the oppressed. You know, this is Isaiah 60, 61, 1 and 2. And he tells everyone there that this scripture has been fulfilled. Like, that's me. And everyone in the room is like, did he just say that? You know, so he's instantly antagonizing the religious folks and poking their buttons. You know, it creates this uproar amongst them in the temple. You know, but Jesus is bringing freedom to the oppressed. You know, he's bringing freedom to the poor. It's not so much about how much money someone has. It's more about social status or outsiders, people of different ethnicities, or people that had made poor choices in their lives, and they lived outside of the religious blessings that were going on in that day. In that day, if you were not Jewish, that you could not have God. You know, if you had sinned, you could not have God. If you were poor and you know, you could not have God. That they created this religious structure that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and we take advantage of the poor and we know what's right and we tell you what's wrong. You know, and Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm destroying that and I'm going to all the unlikely sources, all the people that need healing, all the people that are poor in spirit and I'm letting them know that there is freedom for them. You know, so once again, he's poking the buttons of the religious leaders of the day. You know, they did not like Jesus, you know, saying the things that he was saying. Because he was breaking down these religious circles because of the sins that they had committed. You know, Jesus is stating that the kingdom of God is especially God's good news is for all people. You know, Luke is telling these stories as 
you know, Jesus is walking through these different villages and he's reaching out to the poor. He's bringing healing to, you know, <clears throat> bedridden, sick women where a leader in that day would never even talk to a woman, let alone go to a woman. You know, he's reaching down into people's lives. He's healing lepers. He's healing people with skin diseases. You know, he's reaching out to paralyzed men. He's opening up blind eyes. You know, all these stories is Jesus is welcoming people into his community. You know, he reaches out to a tax collector. You know, a tax collector was a Jewish person that would go around and represent Rome and make sure that all the other Israelites would pay their taxes. So he was considered the lowest of low. You know, and Jesus would reach out to these people that are outside the social structure and let them know that there's forgiveness for them. That Jesus told the prostitute that you were forgiven. You know, and people would get so upset by the things that Jesus was doing and the things that Jesus was saying because it was against the rules. Like, you're not supposed to do that. God doesn't like that stuff. And Jesus is like, no, I am God, and this is what we're supposed to be doing. So once again, the religious leaders are getting really upset with him. As you know, Luke is portraying this story and showing us that God's kingdom is to bring restoration. That it's going to bring reversal in people's lives and their circumstances. Anybody's life been reversed since you met Jesus? All of us, you know, as we come to know Jesus, everything begins to shift. You know, you know, he was reaching into people's lives that were very unlikely to have an encounter with God. You know, he's asking the unlikely people, the scum of the earth. You know, the religious people are like, doesn't he know who he's hanging out with? And Jesus knew exactly who he was hanging out with. <clears throat> You know, and he's building relationships with them so that they could discover that there's healing power of God's kingdom through Christ. And he's, he's setting them free because he's understanding that they are forgiven. Luke then begins to explain how Jesus' kingdom is upside down. And God, God's love is for the broken and the poor. He completely changes our value system. Jesus wants us to have this new understanding that in our brokenness, it gives us an invitation to be part of the living. So often in our brokenness, we feel like we are so far from God. You know, I know for me, for many years, because of the pain that I went through, I couldn't believe in a loving God. I couldn't believe in any God, considering how much pain I'd have to live through. You know, and I went to such extremes as saying that I was an atheist. But as I finally got to this place of the end of my rope, per se, you know, I started, you know, beginning to pray. You know, and I wasn't asking Jesus into my life, and I wasn't, you know, doing any sort of religious, you know, action. Mainly it was in my own arrogance. You know, I started to say, take my pain, take my pain, help me to forgive myself, help me to forgive myself, help me to forgive myself. And nothing happened. You know, as many times in we get to that place where we're finally going to pray and we pray our first prayer and we expect Jesus to show up in a lightning bolt and go poof, all of a sudden life's better. That's not how this works. But in our desperation, as we continue to reach out for him, 
and really try to align ourselves with who he is, you know, that things begin to shift in our lives. I know that I, I prayed the same prayer every night before I went to bed and, and nothing happened. And eventually one day I went to bed the same way that I went to bed for a long, long time and I woke up a completely different way. Now I'm not going to take, I'm not going to say that all my anger and all my pain was gone. I'm not going to say that all my shame was gone, but I know this weight had been lifted and I was in such awe that I was like, there must be a God. Now I did, I was not ready to go back to church. I was not ready to say that Jesus is the Messiah, but I was in a place where I said there must be some sort of God because I've been saying these tiny little prayers and something's completely different. You know, Jesus has this funny way of working in our lives when we don't really realize that he's the one that's doing it. You know, he's given us this invitation to have this relationship with him. But so often we have these religious rules that it's supposed to happen a certain way. And yet he's outside of the box, always working and always moving and always shifting. But yet we want it to happen our way. Any control freaks in the room? And so often we're trying to get God to do it exactly how we're praying. Come on, do it. In Jesus' name, my will be done. We don't say that because, you know, that would be wrong. But if we really start to examine our prayers, most of them are very selfish. Most of them are trying to accomplish our will to be done. Most of them are not seeking God and trying to listen to His voice. We're trying to find scripture so we can manipulate it to get what we want accomplished. And we wonder why we're at a roadblock a lot of times. That things can't move. We feel like we're stuck. It's because we're trying to do the same stuff that these religious leaders were doing back then. Is that we built up a system that this is the way God's supposed to do it. And then Jesus is like over on the side saying, uh, that's not how we're doing it. Why don't you come over here and serve me? They're like, no, 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 I ain't got time for that. I got my own things I got to do, Jesus. Don't you know? You know, and he's given us this invitation. He's asking us in to have this relationship with him. That we bring our brokenness before him and say, this is who I am. You know, and it's so hard for us to pull down our mask and take down our walls and be vulnerable, even to Jesus. That we come and we declare how righteous we are and how good we've been doing and we, we make a list of all the things. Well, I read my Bible and I prayed and I did all these things and I didn't kick the dog and you should do what I want you to do now, Jesus. And he's like, you're missing it. You know, anytime that we're not getting our way and we start making a list to Jesus of all the good stuff that we've been doing, you're off by a mile. And if we come before Him and say all the stuff that we've been doing wrong and how far we're away from Him and we ask for Him to help us to heal and we start praying for the junk to come out and we start repenting of the sins that we're committing and we know we shouldn't be, and we start repenting of the control and how we're trying to manipulate Him, all of a sudden things begin to shift in our heart and all of a sudden this weight gets lifted. Did anything change? No, but we did. And so often we're wanting external circumstances to change so I can be happy. And Jesus wants us to surrender so He can have more of who we really are. See, He wants us to have this radical relationship with Him. 
He invites us into this, this craziness that we don't deserve. That we don't deserve to have this invitation into the depth of who He is. And yet He's made Himself available to all of us. That He wants us to pr- practice this selfless generosity of serving others and giving to the poor. That people will lead by serving instead of commanding. That we live by creating this peace and forgiveness of who we are deeply pious, but yet we reject religious hypocrisy. You know, it's so important that we become real. And for some of us, all of us, we've been wearing masks since we were little kids. You know, that I didn't know who I was. You know, I have my own opinions of certain things, you know, and I'll let you know that they're my opinions. You know, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. You know what I think that is? Is that I am really good at becoming chameleon to any situation that I'm in. And over a time frame of decades, I don't know who I am anymore because I'm just adapting to my surroundings and I'm really good at it. And then I get sober, and I get saved, and I'm trying to have this identity in Christ, and I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Because that means i got to get real. And being real is one of the hardest things that we have to do. But it's the only way that we can really invite Jesus into the depths of who we are, because we can't invite Him into a persona that we've made. We can't invite Him into a mask that we portray. We have to invite them into the most broken places of who we are and say, heal this. But that means I have to be vulnerable before Him. And He wants us to come before Him with exactly who we are. And that's hard for us to do because we spend most of our lives trying to portray this image of what we think people want to have. You know, I'm a man, I'm tough. You know, and, you know, and I, I, I come as a certain way, and then Jesus is like, you're not tough. I'm going to make you cry all the time. Thanks, Jesus. I really appreciate that one. You know, he wants to create this easy pathway for us to have a real relationship with him, but we first have to come before him and say, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. See, this creates this controversy because we're supposed to act a certain way. We go to church and we act and we, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We sing, we stand, we stand, we go, we we carry our Bible, we leave it at church, we forget we even own the Bible. It's in the lost and found. You know, but, and we spend so much time trying to create this religious image, but yet our heart is far from Him. And Jesus keeps setting up these circumstances where it feels like we're tripping, we keep falling, there's a roadblock, this door won't open, why aren't you answering my prayers? And Jesus is standing there the whole time saying, I'm right here. But we're trying to get him to fit into our will. And he doesn't like playing that game. I think he actually likes really screwing with us personally. You know, when I first got saved, I really considered that he was making me into his own personal practical joke by making me do and say all these things that I said that I would never do and say. And here we are. 
that he tries to break down the religiousness. He breaks down the, the traditions of men that truly dishonor who he really is. That he's trying to create the stability in us, and it's only through an authentic relationship with him. You know, and Jesus is, you know, if we read through it, you know, he's constantly not playing by the rules. You know, most of us in here have been rebels since we were little, little kids. You know, don't do this, do that. And like, yeah, right. You know, I'm going to do the opposite of whatever you're telling me to do. And probably flip you off as I'm doing it. And then I did it twice, just, and I'll tell you, just cause. You know, where you've been rebellious. Some of you have followed the rules a little better than others. Me, I've never been a rule follower. And then later on in life, I find out that Jesus is the ultimate rebel, that doing what Jesus is asking us to do completely is the opposite of what this world is asking us to do. And it's completely the opposite of what the religious organizations want us to do. So if we really want to rebel against authority, follow Jesus. It's kind of weird. Because his kingdom is... is Upside down, it's the opposite of what we really think it would be. You know, and as he continues to go through and, and, and change the game in front of all these people, he continues to get accused of blaspheming God. He accused of being a drunkard. He gets accused of being able to stir up demons or he's, you know, partnering with the devil. You know, he hangs out with notorious sinners. I don't know about you, but this room is full of notorious sinners. And you know what? It's okay. Because today we don't have to hide it. Today we can come before Jesus and say, you know what? I've asked Him into my life that He's forgiven me, that my past is behind me, unless I keep dragging it with me. But that's a whole other story. That's a whole other lesson. But Jesus says He wants us to come and have a relationship with Him. You know, He begins to lead His disciples and tell them, these stories about how he's going to die in Jerusalem because he needed to die for the sins of Israel. So Jesus starts this journey to Israel. And as he starts going on this this trek to his demise, he starts taking his disciples and teaching them along the way. You know, he's having this participation in God's kingdom and he's leading them by example and he's teaching them how to pray and he's teaching them how to trust in the kingdom of God. And yet they still don't have a clue what they're doing. You know, in Luke's gospel more than the other gospels, you're going to see Jesus talk about money a lot. You know, he talks about money, and he talks about possessions, and he talks about greed, and he talks about generosity. That he's trying to get to the point that so often we try to use money for stability when we should be trusting God. So often we try to use money as a societal you know, stance that we feel better about ourselves when we have certain material items. But Jesus is telling us to give it all away, that we would have more of him. That there's this minimalist mentality that he's starting to create because he wants us to be free from anything that owns us. You know, that we either worship God or worship money. We will love one or hate the other. And so often we... we we make excuses of why it's okay to put money in front of Jesus. You know, however, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. If you have the possession and the possession doesn't have you. 
Now, if your structure is that I need to do whatever it is for money and then Jesus comes later, things are out of balance. If you'll do whatever it is for Jesus and you just happen to make money, you're probably doing okay. You know, and it's a matter of our heart. And that's what Jesus is always trying to get to the root of, is the heart of the matter. And so often, you know, we use relationships. We use drugs and alcohol for a while. We use things on the Internet. We use food. We definitely use money to feel better about ourselves. And if we are using these things, instead of learning how to have this relationship with Jesus and that he begins to heal those inner places, that we don't really have a money problem. We don't have a drug and alcohol problem. We don't have a sex problem. We don't have a relationship problem. We don't have a lust problem. We have solutions to the problem. And as long as we're not dealing with the real problem and letting Jesus in there, we're constantly going to be reaching for whatever it is that's close to fill the void. And Jesus always kind of works this stuff out, that every time that we reach for one of those things, it doesn't work out the way we'd hope. This is the greatest relationship. She's awesome. He's awesome. It's going to work out. It's going to be great. He's not a Christian. It doesn't matter. Crash and burn. You know, I got the greatest job. Oh, you know, I have to work when I'm supposed to be at church. It doesn't matter. God wants me to be happy. Crash and burn. You know, story after story after story, I can tell. Literally, I could spend hours telling you what people have done and how they've put something in the way of Jesus. And within moments, months, weeks, that thing goes up in flames. It's so important that we prioritize and make Jesus the Lord of our lives and allow Him to have the depths of who we are. Because Jesus comes to seek and save the lost so that we can discover His mercy through His relationships. You know, and as he continued to attack the money issues of the, of the community of Israel, the religious leaders would get really, really upset. Because even though that they were representing the temple, they were all lining their pockets with the money of the poor and, and being corrupt in the way that they would do offerings and that they would consistently take advantage of those that didn't have much. You know, and they would constantly argue with Jesus about Things They would try to set him up, and Jesus would always spin it, and he would reveal their pride and their hypocrisy. And he would tell these parables, especially about the prodigal son, and he's highlighting that no matter what we've done wrong, that the father's mercy is there, and that the elder brother is all concerned with the inheritance, that how dare he come back, that I've allowed you to to use my inheritance to to take care of my younger brother. And Jesus is using this and helping them to understand that the sinner comes back to the Father for mercy and for love, and that the religious leaders constantly say that they're not good enough and that we're not going to allow them in because you're going to use our money to, to take care of them. You know, and he's using these types of parables to expose the hardness of the hearts. You know, he wants us to enter into his kingdom with humility and repentance. It's so important that we're repenting. You know, some will say that you just repent once, you say your little sinner's prayer, boom, you're done, you're off to heaven. I absolutely don't agree with that. You're not going to find a sinner's prayer in your Bible if you read it. It's not in there. It's something that they 
have manufactured and it's really by something he's, you know, you know, that we have to realize that he's asking us to deny ourselves and follow him. You know, and it's so important that we are denying ourselves, repenting of the things that we are struggling with on a regular basis and asking him in and, and to guide us. You know, show me what's in my heart, God, and lead me to your, the path of everlasting life. It's so important that we're talking to him on a regular basis. Because the more that we don't talk to him and the more we're not repenting, we get all this junk stuffed in there and all of a sudden our heart gets hard and we can't find Jesus and we can't hear Jesus and church is boring and I don't want to do this anymore and all of a sudden more and more sin keeps coming because I'm trying to get some sort of satisfaction and I'm longing, I'm longing, I'm longing for something and it's missing. And the very thing that, the only thing that will satisfy us is this deep, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. You know, and he's trying to show us that his kingdom is upside down, that he's inviting us into his community to get closer. And as he goes into Jerusalem, Jesus is weeping for the people because he knows what's about to take place. He knows that, that they're going to reject him. He knows that his death will lead them to freedom. But in his final week, Jesus spends you know, has several different debates with the leaders of Israel. And Jesus continues to tell them of the destruction that will come, but they refuse to listen and they tell him that he's blessing. You know, they don't want to turn from their ways and they don't want to turn to God. You know, and Luke begins the story of, you know, Jesus' trials, then off to his crucifixion, and then to the his death and burial and resurrection. You know, and we, you know, continue to see these stories in the gospel. You know. But Luke ends this gospel in a very powerful way. You know, that the disciples are around and they hear that Jesus has been resurrected. But they're like, eh. I'm not buying it. And they go off on, and there's two of them that go on a hike. They're on the road to Emmaus. You know, and they're just walking and all of a sudden, Jesus kind of shows up, but they don't recognize him. And they start telling Jesus about Jesus. And Jesus is kind of just like, oh yeah, really? Tell me more. You know, and they're going down this road, you know, and it's so funny. Jesus asked them, why are you so sad? You know, and they begin to tell Jesus about this guy that they had all these hopes in, that he was going to redeem Israel, but now he's dead. You know, and it was all for nothing. What was the point? You know, because they believed that Jesus was going to overthrow Rome, that he was going to become this, you know, militant leader. He was going to, you know, bring Israel together. They were going to rise up, kick Rome out. You know, they were going to get their land back and get their temple back and be able to do whatever they wanted to do. You know, but that's not what, you know, Jesus' kingdom was going to be like. And they missed it. Even though they spent time with him, they still missed what he was saying. So as Jesus gets to this place and he's having this meal with them, he breaks the bread and they instantly see Jesus. 
You know, and then they say, weren't our hearts burning? You know, there's times that Jesus is talking to us and it's like you can feel it in the depths of our hearts. But there's times that we aren't recognizing that it's Him. And it's only later that we realize that He was trying to tell us something or to tell us not to do something, telling us to go a certain way or to leave something alone. You know, and because we were so fixed on our own will, we couldn't recognize what Jesus was trying to do. So as they recognize Him, He disappears. And then instantly the disciples run back to Jerusalem. But Luke is telling this story to make a very powerful point. It's about following Jesus. The disciples impose their own agenda on Jesus. And that their view and their reality of Jesus, when He was alive or when He was with them, He was invisible to them. Because their will is all they could see. Because Jesus' will is unknown to us as long as we're trying to force our own. And sometimes we get confused. Sometimes it's like, I can't hear God anymore. I'm not sure what to do. Because we want God to do something that we want Him to do, and He's not doing it in the, in the time frame that we want Him to do or in the way that we want Him to do. But we've been praying. We've been fasting and praying. We've been reading fasting and praying. We've been perfect in our attendance at church. And Jesus still isn't getting this right. And so often we're not seeing what He's doing all around us because we're so fixated on what we want. <clears throat> so His will becomes invisible and unknown to us. And it's only when we submit ourselves to this upside-down kingdom of Jesus that He begins to open our eyes to hear, or open our eyes to see, and open our ears to hear what his truly will is. <clears throat> that they completely looked down on Jesus for being crucified. And that was the key to it all. That it opened up the door for our salvation and opened up the door for us to have this relationship with him. That as he laid there, or as he hung there on the cross, he offered his life freely. His selfless love. And it's only that we can't see it because we want Him to do it our way. But when we finally look at Him for who He really is, we begin to know the real Jesus, and we begin to go in the right direction in the way that He's asking us to go. Instead of going through the motions and trying to have this self-centered religion, that we're trying to get Jesus to give us what we want, instead of asking Him how He can use us. We wonder why things aren't working out the way we'd hoped but we're refusing to obey Him. It's so important that as we build this relationship with Jesus, that you're going to have seasons. You're going to have one season where it's like He's you know, awesome, things are great, this is amazing. And all of a sudden you got to do work. And it's like, this sucks. You know, and I've heard people, why can't Jesus just leave me alone? Why can't I just do what I want to do? You know, friends, I know for me that if there's anything about me doing what I wanted to do that had anything connected with the old Tom, has nothing but destruction hooked to it. And so often we get a little bit of Jesus, we get a little bit of freedom, and then we want some of the things from the old world to come into our new life. And we try to manipulate it to get what we want because 
We're going through the motions of religion, and even though we believe in Him, even though we may have an emotional moment, even though we, you know, we pray, even though we read, somewhere along the line, we're trying to get Him to give us what we want, and all of a sudden we're hitting this roadblock over and over and over again, and it's, we get so frustrated that we reach back into the world to get satisfied. You know, you know, something that was taught to me a long time ago, and if I get in this type of a place where I'm frustrated, it feels like I'm hitting roadblocks, I feel like every bridge is too low and I'm smacking my head into it, and I don't know where God went, I can't find His presence, I can't hear His voice, that I have to go back to the last thing I do remember Him saying and do that. Because most likely that's where I left the path. And so often we go back to that place, and the second that we repent and get back on His path, all of a sudden the floodgates open and we are like, oh my God, I can't believe I missed you. If we're trying to force our will, I would most most likely guarantee that you're not satisfied with Jesus right now. If you're trying to get something your way, you're being really frustrated with Jesus right now. If you're surrendered and saying just whatever you want, most likely you got more Jesus than you can handle. And you wish you would shut up for once in a while because he's talking to you too much. What's the difference? It's all the heart. Both of those things could look exactly the same. But if I'm trying to push or manipulate or, or gain something that's outside of his will for me, my mind is racing, my heart is aching, I don't feel satisfied, I can put Christian music on, I can go to church, I'm reading my Bible three hours a day, and something's missing. And the other person's not reading their Bible, they pray once in a while, they skip church twice this month, but Jesus is flooding them. If we create the religious system and try to gain righteousness by checking off boxes, we're missing it. But if we're obedient and surrendered and repentant, He's guiding us through this crazy thing called life and we're missing the potholes. Does that make sense? You know, and they can look the same. He's trying to get to the root of the matter, which is our heart. So I just want to take a moment in, in the silence of the room, each one of us just take a minute and repent of whatever it is and just invite him back in to whatever you're going through, whatever your struggle is, whatever your frustration is, and just ask Him to take you back to where He wants to take you. Lord, I just ask that You would move powerfully in each one of our lives. Lord, I pray that You would show up in a mighty way. Lord, each one of us is going through different things and we're in different stages of life and there's different things going on in our finances with our kids, with our relationships, with our marriages, with our jobs. And Lord, ultimately we just need you. Help us to grow in our understanding of who you are and, and who you've created us to be. Help us to find our identity completely in you and then the world just kind of drifts away. Lord, help us to, to stay repentant if there's areas that we've been struggling with, help us to come before you over and over and over again until we feel that that thing gets broken off. 
Lord, we can't do this in our own strength. Lord, we're constantly reaching these places that feels like everything is impossible. Lord, when we reach out to you, that you guide us through life in, in ways that don't make sense. That your kingdom is upside down, your kingdom is backward. So Lord, help us to just get connected to you again and allow you to have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.